listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining me today on the show. I think you're going to really enjoy this. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, and my special guest is somebody I've been communicating with for several years now, and we've become uh, good friends. John Trudell, who is a prolific author and a uh, graduate of Georgia Tech. I know that made David happy when he heard heard that. And uh, John is, is also a pilot and uh, was actually operating drones before drones even existed. But John has written two nonfiction books and five novels. And I haven't read them all yet, but I've read several of them, and they are outstanding, so I would recommend them to everybody. And he also has a, a blog which deals with all of the issues out there, everything from gun control to the military to terrorism. And uh, we're going to talk some about that, too, in some of his articles, because I have been a follower of his for a long time on his blog. And uh, John lives in, well, he go back and forth between Arizona and Oregon. Is that correct? That is correct. And at this particular moment, I'm sitting in the sunshine down in Arizona. Well, that's, that's one of my favorite places because I was stationed out there at Fort Huachuca, Arizona, when I was in the military and fell in love with the, the state and then went back a few years ago and did ghost hunting in uh, uh, Tombstone, Arizona, visited it, and ended up uh, including stories about it in, in one of my books. But let's talk about your books. You, First of all, your, your two nonfiction books, what are those about? Oh, those are all very, very old books now. Um, what I used to do, I had started my career uh, just a brief. Yeah, you know, I kind of lived the American dream, as you guys said. Went to Georgia Tech and, and other schools on scholarships, and <clears throat> I come from an old East Coast family. Once wealthy, they lost all their money. So here I am, going to school on scholarships. Started picking blueberries at eight cents a pound. Get all trained in science and technology. And I actually never finished my doctorate. This thing called Vietnam came along, and off I was doing weird stuff because I had I got high-level clearances, and they had me do strange things. They like foolish young people who volunteer for things, and that was me. And so <clears throat> after that, I you know I worked for big companies, and along the way, um, I started writing, uh, particularly uh, with a public uh, presence. When I was leaving big companies, I went on my own as a consultant, and I was a signal practitioner consultant with clients like Intel and Hewlett Packard and IBM and people like that, Tektronix, of course, where I'd worked. And I found you, you can't just call up IBM and say, give me a bunch of money and I'll make you successful. They, you know, they have to come to you. So I started doing seminars, writing columns for magazines. I did hundreds, maybe a thousand columns, and I started doing some um, then you have to do business books. So I did one in 1990 called High Tech with Low Risk, which was kind of how to run a skunk works, which was sort of my specialty. Um, and that was usually what I'd be retained for with clients. And a bit later than that, I teamed up with a professor of uh, graduate business at University of Oregon, and we did a book called Engines of Prosperity. Uh, and it was about how to make money and uh, do really clever things. Now, that, that was in the days when Silicon Valley was sizzling and innovation was great, and uh, you could make very prosperous things just 
out of knowledge. Of course, now it's all kind of crony capitalism, and I'm retired from that. Um, I did it long enough, and I had all these strange stories, and people kept saying, well, you've had all these experiences, and you keep telling these stories. The, the real stuff I couldn't talk about. If it was government, it was you know, classified. And if it was commercial, it was even more restricted, uh, non-disclosures and things like that. Uh, I would, when I was with uh, doing work, I did a lot of work for Intel. Andy Grove was famously paranoid. So I'd do research for him. I'd write reports, and by the time it went up to that level, they'd have to take my name off it because I wasn't cleared for it. I was the guy that had written it, you know. <laughs> so that was kind of my life. Now I write novels, and um, all these people had told me, oh, you have all these interesting experiences. You should write a novel. And I go, how hard could that be? first one took me 10 years. <laughs> so here we are. Been there and done that. <laughs> yep. Well, the uh, your books are God's House, Privacy Wars, Soft Target, Ray, Raven's Run, and late, the latest is Raven's Redemption. Uh, tell us a little bit about each of those books and, and what the subject matter is. Right. Well, the, the first one, the one that started it all, is God's House. And it, it's kind of a broad brush thing. It's got some interesting settings in, in different places around the world. And uh, in Oregon, of course, is where I was writing it from at the time. And the technology behind that is one of these what-if things. What if you could have limitless clean energy? Would that be a blessing or a curse? Okay. And uh, back in the day, we used to do research uh, in, into areas like that. In theory, you could take a cup of seawater, and if you knew how to do controlled fusion, you could power the whole eastern seaboard. And there'd be no pollution. It'd just be hydrogen and, and uh, oxygen coming out of it. You'd fuse, the, uh, <coughs> you'd, you'd fuse uh, helium into, uh, uh, into uh, hydrogen. And... <coughs> Great. The only problem is, is if you did this, and there's a few practical problems, like you have to hold plasma at a million degrees and stuff like that. So there's what we call engineering details. But that's being that has been researched uh, and was being researched intensively. If if you could ever do that, it would be a miracle, uh, and uh, just lift civilization to a new level. Unfortunately, you also have a hydrogen bomb in your neighborhood. <laughs> So you need to be able to manage that kind of technology. Uh, so that was kind of the thing. And it, uh, as far as the, um, the the quest that both good people and bad people were chasing after, and I have UN settings and corrupt people and even uh, some corrupt people in religious institutions. So that was the one that started it all, um, which was interesting. Uh, and the book is... Uh, surprisingly still loved. I'll, I'll go to signings, and that's the book everybody wants. It's got a little more romance in it, and, and some people prefer it, which is good. Um, let's see, the second one was called um, Privacy Wars, and that's where it started getting spooky for me. Um, I, I had worked some in uh, electronic intelligence and in what commercial called trusted managed networks, which means, uh, you know, can you verify that the people on it are the ones who should be, and can you keep it secure? Uh, difficult problem. And, of course, um, that gets into the topic of privacy, 
And I start off with a quote in that book uh, that says, you know, uh, one of the famous CEOs in high tech said, get over it, there is no privacy anymore. And indeed, today our cell phones track us and monitor us and eavesdrop on us and on and on and on. And as we speak, uh, Apple's in court over that. Uh, so I wrote a book about it, and uh, totally fiction. And my book comes out, and uh, as we're getting ready to launch the book, there's this fellow Snowden running for his life and finally stuck in, in the uh, Moscow airport. And I go, oh, my gosh, this, this is my book, you know. <laughs> and uh, and it was kind of interesting for, for a new novelist because um, – Nobody doing this stuff was willing to talk about it. Well, I was doing fiction books. <laughs> okay, so I talked about it, and they would always have me on and interview me. And that one won three national awards, and uh, it's back in fashion now. It turns out that electronic privacy is one of the few and maybe even the only issue that the right and the left seem to be able to agree about. Nobody wants Big Brother or uh, worse than that, other people snooping on everything you do. And, uh, you know, the, if you look at the news versus my novel, not only do they want to monitor everything, and they are monitoring everything, uh, but they're incompetent. So uh, you take our security clearances, you know, with all your history and everything else, and that's been hacked, and we don't know who has it. We think it's the Chinese. So that book is very topical. Uh, and, in fact, um, I put it up, and it gets a lot of action. <clears throat> All right, well, I went on from that, and as I'm going along, I would I would discuss these things that most people don't discuss, and, and people some people liked my books, thought they were realistic. And uh, I ran into this guy, you know, Captain Larry Bailey. I was looking for someone to do some things with special ops, and I had some friends who had worked in that, and he said, oh, he's Clary Bailey. He used to command the SEALs. You know, he's a real savvy guy. So he helped me with the book. And um, in real life, he is the one who started Special Operations Speaks. He and an Air Force guy co-founded that organization. And their whole mission has been to expose what happened in Benghazi. So Larry and the guys used to go back to Washington once or twice a month and harass Congress to do something. And years have passed, and that's still going on. But Larry helped me with the book, gave me a blurb for the cover. And uh, <clears throat> it's it's about terrorists. Uh, it is um, kind of interesting because that one has come true in a strange way, too. It's, it's about ter terrorists using biological weapons. But these particular terrorists have very high-level people inside the government. There's a faction inside the government that is helping them for its own reasons. And so here we are uh, with a deadly bioweapons attack. And bioweapons are really scary things. Uh, and that one comes out, and of course, <laughs> what we have had essentially is a, uh, it's different, but it's not that different. We've had bioweapons, still do, but these are walking bioweapons. We've just stopped everything we used to do for centuries that used to work with quarantine. So you have diseases like Ebola that are invited into the country, and you have all these diseases that were eradicated many, many, many years ago uh, that are back now. And uh, that's soft target. It has some special ops tactics in it, and uh, it, too, won an award. And let's see, that brings us all the way forward to... Uh, 
Raven's Run. And Raven's Run, I, I took something that I thought was um, scary but very unlikely. I had terrorists with Iranian nuclear weapons. And I go, well, yeah, that, that should work. And boy, that's pretty scary. Uh, plus the fact that a lot of the stuff from the Cold War is declassified now. So the things that we used to study for real back in the days when you had duck and cover in the schools and you know we had nukes hanging on B-52s ready to go and in fact in the air all the time, scary, scary times. Um, but they did threat scenarios and it turns out that uh, one EMP weapon, one large one or maybe a couple of small ones, could um, blanket the U.S., take out the power grid, and the death rate in, in cities. Uh, I've talked to some folks that are in, in uh, elected officials, and the briefings now are from the same data. It's back, you know, 50s and 60s, where they were estimating 70% casualty rates in the cities. Well, it turns out nowadays, um, and that's the data, and it was heavily researched, and they had good people look into it. Well, what's changed? Uh, the laws of physics have not changed. Uh, atomic bombs and hydrogen bombs work the same way they always did. Um, but what has changed is everything is solid-state electronics. So if you had an EMP pulse, it would take out everything. It would take out your telephones. It would take out your automobiles and your sewage plants and your, you know, on and on and on and on, and uh, the, and the fuel distribution systems. So I, I would. I've, I've talked to some people who have been briefed on this. I think not exactly higher than 70%, but it doesn't matter. It's huge numbers. So that was the threat in that book. Let's and, take a break. Um, John, John, we need to okay. take a break for a minute, and we'll be back in a few minutes. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. 
Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Well, John, you were talking about Raven's Run, and your latest is a follow-up to that, right? Raven's Redemption? Yeah, correct. Uh, Raven's Run, like I said, has had a theme. It had a couple of things in it that were kind of unusual. One was, I think we've, we've briefed enough on is the threat, which is <coughs> terrorists with nukes, and uh, which seemed with Iranian nukes, which seemed improbable at the time I was writing the book. Well, the book comes out, and we haven't even started promoting it yet. And there's a Christmas party at the White House, and Michelle Bachman is leaving Congress. And she decides with her family, um, talks to him and says, this is the last time I'm going to ever be speaking to Mr. Obama. We don't get along very well, but I have to leave him with a thought. Just, you know, a short, short thing. And they're, eh. Anyway, finally they agree to do that, and they delay the line. And her message to Obama is, um, whatever you do, do not let Iran have nuclear weapons. It would be horrible. And he goes, there, there, don't worry your pretty little head about it. Well, she was on the House Intelligence Committee, and she was all briefed in. And, but <clears throat> she retired from Congress, and I'm going, that's the storyline of my novel. Okay. <laughs> it goes on a little bit, and, uh, and all of a sudden I'm getting all these interviews again, and people are more interested in, could this really happen? Well, it seems kind of it is happening. And then for the second time in American history, we had a head of state come over and brief Congress on a major threat. The last time it was uh, Churchill about Hitler. This time it was Netanyahu. Okay, so the book gains momentum and everything else. And uh, <clears throat> and it won an award, too. It, it won. Uh, the thing that's kind of interesting about that, I'm, I believe the they said at the conference where they gave me the award, it's the first international thriller anyone knows of that has won a, a, a major award in the category of paranormal. I, te- I teamed this uh, crusty, burned-out, uh, deep, dark, black agent with a very sensitive, mystical kind of psychic per- person who, who had some sensing abilities. And, and back in the day, people like the CIA actually did research into those areas. So anyway, it won a, an award as paranormal and uh, has gotten nothing but five stars on Amazon. But the problem was, is it turned too real, and um, I couldn't finish the sequel. Everybody wanted a sequel to Raven's Run, but they were doing this treaty that wasn't a treaty, and nobody knew quite what it was, and for a while Congress wasn't allowed to see anything, and it went on and on and on. I said, well, I can't finish this book until uh, something definite is on record, because if I'm totally wrong, no matter what they do, if I'm totally off track, uh, it will crater the novel. So I waited and waited and waited. And finally it was, well, what do you suggest? And all these people were writing really smart things about what to do. And I said, well, I'll keep it. So I made a little seven-point uh, cheat sheet. You know, if you want to prevent Iran from having nukes, number one, you got to replace the leadership that the Republicans have in the House and the Senate. Boehner's got to go, etc. And I put this out as a little cheat sheet on my blog and in my newsletter, and the cruise campaign picked it up, sent it to zillions of people, and it went off the scale. I was getting like 20,000 hits a day on social media, uh, which took time away from the new book and blah, blah, blah. But Raven's Redemption is finally done, and um, 
it's the sequel to Raven's Run. Uh, in, in Raven's Run, we have all my books are good versus evil, and uh, I try to line, I try to end optimistically, and uh, that one did. The horrible attack was prevented, but everybody on the team preventing it w- took serious damage. Uh, some some were killed, some were uh, wounded in different ways, and that's how we left it when the book ended. Um, so, okay, here comes Raven's Redemption, and what I have done there, the book is just out, and in fact, uh, you are the first media interview that I've done. I've done a couple of signings, uh, and the theory there is, uh, what else is happening? What can you do after that? Well, uh, I haven't even had any re- uh, editorial reviews on it, so the book is up, and there's a description of it on my on my website, my author's website, and on Amazon. But uh, briefly, uh, what, do, what do you do in today's world to make it realistic? Well, I've got to move my characters a little bit further from the government because there's just too much bureaucracy there. And uh, I also have this thing where different groups are working together in the U.S., you know, right here. And so you have, uh, you know, jihadist groups working with black ecology groups and blah, blah, blah. So Black Lives Matter, we call it now, meets uh, <laughs> ISIS. And so there's some of that, and uh, my my characters work against that background and um, try to survive. <laughs> so that's, that's, those are kind of my stories, and uh, that's what I write. Well, fantastic. Well, where can people get these books? I know they're on Amazon. Because I reviewed one of them on Amazon for you, and uh, I know that the uh, probably the Barnes and Noble and that sort of thing. Can they order them directly from you if they want to? No, uh, basically, um, I'm not in the logistics business, and Amazon actually likes me. You can buy a book cheaper from Amazon if you want a paper book uh, than you can from me. When I do a book signing, I'm happy to sell books, and I, I do sell my books at book signings. I charge $15 for them. Uh, Amazon has a contract with me where they can discount the books however they want, and I get the same cut, so I'm, I'm all for it. And they're, they're selling them for like 12.50 or something like that, and they give you free shipping. So I, I like Amazon. Um, I am not with a big publisher. I'm not with a Penguin or something like that yet. We, we keep my agent keeps talking deals, uh, and for a long that's a very long story, not worth repeating here. But I've had a couple of agents, and we've always talked deals. But I finally did these my own on my on my own. I'm very happy with my publisher, but I'd be equally happy if somebody would come along and lay some big money down on the table and want want to buy the rights. Uh, right now, we're concentrating on foreign rights, uh, but, but big publishers are, are talking. The um, no deals yet, but you, any bookstore can get them. Usually, the big bookstores will not stock in the authors. They, they, if you don't say order a book for me, they'll do it. But for the most part, um, you have to ask for it. But any bookstore in the world can get it. You can get it off of Amazon. Uh, the eBooks are all over the place. And they work on all different platforms. Uh, so on Amazon, um, it's the easiest thing. Or you can just call uh, any bookstore if you want to order it, if you have a preference. I've got funny stories about that. But that's where I am in the distribution channel. And um, that's how it is for right now. Are you, planning, are you working on another novel yet, or are you slowing down a little bit? 
Well, this one has only been out for, um, oh, I don't know, less than a month. So um, right now I'm, I'm, we haven't even really started promotion of it. Uh, in fact, I got one surprise. I, I love most things about uh, Amazon. Uh, they've treated me. Their Create Space is a really first-rate company to work with, and I've done a number of books, as you know. Uh, but these are as good a quality as any anything from a big publisher. They do a great job, and they do it in a timely manner. They're fast. They're efficient. They're good to work with. So, and Amazon bought them. I mean, they were growing like crazy at a time when uh, most publishers were shrinking. Uh, so I do that. But now I'm in this cluster of, of huge companies, and I fall through the cracks. So one funny thing about Raven's Redemption um, People like the Kindle books, and I can discount them. So uh, what I'm going to do for people who read my um, <coughs> newsletters is I'm going to put it on a discount, Kindle promotion, yada, 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 knock it down to $1.99, and I was going to do a promotion with them. Well, the world has turned very politically correct, and, you, and so they refuse to run my paid advertising on the Kindle because, hang on to your hat, it has it has a scary, terrifying image. There's a character on the cover holding a gun, <laughs> <laughs> and so they refuse to take my money. And I'm going, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> and it's one of these things. It did not come from Amazon. It didn't come from Create Space. It came from another company in the chain that you know they're independent and they make these decisions. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. So I got I got to make some change there, but. Um, so I'm kind of stuck in details like that. And the other thing, I guess, that, that drew your attention to me is I was um, dealing with things in Oregon. We usually only go back there for Christmas. Well, my wife had some surgery, and I'm still stuck with details trying to get the book out. And then this thing in Burns, Oregon happens, which is way on the other side of the state. It's a very difficult to get to the middle of nowhere, a little town, maybe the most remote town in Oregon or close to it. And uh, crazy stuff goes down, and I, I get all these contacts now giving me ideas. You probably have that, too. Um, and they, they don't want to be identified, but they tell me things and stuff happens. So no night, it comes this email, and it is this terrified girl who is the only one who has been re released after this shootout. She was an 18-year-old girl uh, named uh, Victoria Sharp, and she was a singer. She, she and her family, uh, her mother and her siblings, go around the country and they sing patriotic songs at different events. And there was this thing going on down in Burns, Oregon, so the family went over there to sing and everything else. And um, they were having a meeting, a large meeting for the area in the next town over. Now, the next town over doesn't sound like it's very far, but the next town over is called John Day, and it's probably 130 miles on a on a not-so-good two-lane road. And so they're all going to this big meeting with everybody in John Day, which is, by their standards, a big city, and the neighboring sheriff has invited them and is very supportive of what they're doing, and uh, she missed the ride with her family. And she winds up in the Finnegan truck, because uh, she, she she got a ride to this meeting in the next town. And, of course, they shot the truck to pieces, and she was absolutely terrified. Uh, she's the only one they turned loose. So they turned her loose. She gave a telephone interview with a radio station, 
And then she went into hiding, and for all I know, she's still in hiding. But I had that interview within minutes, and I go, oh, what do I do with this one? And everybody, oh, you have a blog, John, you going to put it up there. So I've been collecting things and putting it up, and that's how I got into that. And that pretty much took the month of January. <laughs> so. I can imagine. Well, people need to, to read John's blog, because, uh, and my listeners need to buy your books, too. But I, I follow your blog, and I was very interested in, in what was going on in Oregon. I'm involved with a group called the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, and we we were originally out there supporting the Bundys uh, when the situation there occurred uh, in Nevada. And, of course, now you have the, the couple of Bundy boys in jail, along with the Hammonds. And for All people who don't Bundy know... Boys. The only one left is a 17-year-old, and he's running the ranch, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we need to go ahead and take a break, but when we come back, I want you to, to tell more about the the background of what actually happened out there. And so let's take our second break now. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law Case, the Obama Eligibility Cases, the NDAA Illegal Detention Issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. Learn strategies to protect you and your family in the age of Obamacare. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everybody. And we're talking to John Trudell, who is a well-known author and friend of mine and also has a very fantastic blog. Speaking of the blog, how can people access your blog? Oh, uh, basically my website for my books. Thank you. I should mention that. Yeah, t- to find out everything about my novels <laughs> and a lot of stuff about me, it's just www.myname, J-O-H-N-T-R-U-D-E-L, with one L, dot com. <clears throat> www.johntrudel.com. <clears throat> and that gets you to all the stuff about my novels. The blog is uh, 90% nonfiction. It's real stuff, 
and it overlaps the novels a little bit sometimes, talking about awards and things. Uh, and it's just blog, B-L-O-G dot John Trudel, J-O-H-N-T-R-U-D-E-L dot com. And both of them are very popular. The blog, I, I, I track people all over the world are, are hitting my blog, and uh, it gets me into interesting situations. And uh, you can look at any of my books from the website, uh, and in fact, um, on www.johntrudell.com, I have the first chapters up there for free. So check them out. I mean, make sure you like that kind of stuff before you buy the book. Uh, there's reviews and interviews and all that kind of stuff up there, too. But that's how to find me. Uh, and like I said, I encourage everybody listening today to, to look at the books and uh, follow the blog because there's some real interesting things on there. And let's talk about LaVoie Finnecum. Uh, he is the cowboy, basically. Uh, he was from Arizona, as I understand, who was part of the occupation of the Federal uh, Reserve there, and he was gunned down. And according to, you know, there's a lot of stuff floating around out there on the Internet. I've heard a lot of different stories about this. But according to you, John, he was actually not killed by the feds. This was not a Waco-type situation. Uh, he was, in fact, killed by, what, state police or local sheriff's deputies? What happened there? That is a very interesting story, and I think that we're going to, it's going to take the courts and some time to sort it out. Uh, the, the interesting thing is this started to develop, um, and it, this has been in process for 15 or 20 years. It goes way, way back with the Hammonds. And so uh, everybody focuses on this snapshot of uh, Finnegan being shot down and who shot him down. But there's tw 15, 20 years of very strange stuff. Um, it all started with the Hammonds uh, uh, right about the time of 9-11, uh, uh, they had a ranch, and it's out in eastern Oregon. It's very dry country, and they get wildfires. Usually lightning started. And the best practice of the day, the common practice, was you'd set a backfire to protect your property. And that was even the best practice. That's what BLM used to do back then. And so a long time ago, the Hammonds did that. They set a backfire. The uh, granddad had one of the grandsons go out, and uh, they screwed up, and the fire burned up you know, more than they intended. And so that's what it was all about. The Hammonds were then, it went on for like 15 years, and, and as uh, administrations changed, it would get more and more intense. And they were finally arrested and charged with a whole bunch of stuff. And I, I don't have the details on all the charges, but the key thing is, is all the charges were dismissed except for two and they were two counts of arson, which they'd admitted to to begin with. You know, yeah, we set a backfire to protect our ranch. That's what folks did back then. Well, what nobody expected was they were tried under terrorism laws. There was a terrorism law passed right after 9-11, and that's what they were charged under. And uh, a judge and, and it says, well, okay, all this other stuff is dismissed, but you admitted to, to the arson and you give us, uh, we'll give you a general sentence, but you have to agree not to uh, not to come back and uh, you know appeal or anything. And so they accepted that deal, and they went to jail for a few months. And what happened more recently is they were released 
Whereupon the Obama administration says, oh, no, 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 Judge, you screwed up, and you've got to give them a, a much larger minimum sentence. You know, you said that they hadn't done anything bad, and you gave them a light sentence. You have no authority to do that. So they came in under the same charges and um, arrested them and said, now you're going to go to jail for the rest of your life because you're bona fide terrorists. You know, Mr. Hammond is, uh, I think, a, by reputation, a very low-key guy, and he's in his 70s. So he's going to die in jail now, probably. Um, that led uh, people to come from all over. Uh, many of them were folks who had been associated with the thing a few years ago in Nevada at the uh, Bundy Ranch. So, yeah, all the Bundy kids came over. But there's a lot of misconceptions about what they came for and what happened when they got there, lead up, lead up to the shooting. Uh, they came, it's a little bitty town in the middle of nowhere, and believe me, in Oregon, we've lived there since the 1970s, early 70s, it's the worst weather I've ever seen in Oregon. It was miserable. And I'm assuming it was even more miserable back in the mountains. So <clears throat> a dozen or so ranchers came in from other places, and they camped. And where they chose to camp was at an empty, abandoned building, uh, that was a wildlife refuge. It wasn't locked. It was unlocked. The keys were on the door. They're camping there, and uh, fine. And it was not an occupation. During that time, uh, they were there camping, yeah, but people came and left. Civilians came and left. Law enforcement came and left. There's a, uh, a legislator from Nevada who looked into all that and said it wasn't an occupation. Um, and why they were there, the... Um, the Bundys from Nevada had been through this, and their advice, they came over basically to try to advise this rancher who was getting very beat up um, of what to do. And their advice was going to be, the local sheriff can protect you. The local sheriff has jurisdiction. Well, before they could get there, it was too late, and the Hammonds were not allowed to communicate with anybody, or they're afraid to. They said, no, we don't want anybody to help us. We're going back to prison, and don't, don't start. So they went back to prison. And so that left these other people there who were still trying to get some attention that this was unfair from a number of standpoints, and it was a little bit outrageous. And they were just talking about it. And as this unfolded in early January, um, I thought it was going to be settled peaceably and you know it was never an occupation it was none of these none of these ranchers fired a shot at anybody okay not ever there was no violence whatsoever the local sheriff there is is a young one on his first term and he was kind of overwhelmed by everything and i had hopes that the fbi was going to keep this under control because the governor of Oregon is kind of a strange creature. She was she's unelected, and she's kind of way out there, very far left. Uh, she's probably the only non-elected governor in the United States, and she's also the only bisexual governor in the United States. So she's just out there with her own agenda, and um, the left wanted all these people. Tried as uh, terrorists, and yes, these are right-wing terrorists, and blah blah blah. It seemed to me that the FBI 
Uh, Comey at the FBI seems one of the few people in the administration that you can place some trust in. And it, it was going, people were just talking, okay? They were just talking. And the ranchers, there were only like a dozen of them there. They were getting ready to leave. They said, no, we're going to have this meeting with the next town over. The sheriff there was very supportive. And the townspeople uh, were very interested and concerned. And it was getting national attention. So where it goes ballistic, you know, and I'll get back to my book, nothing bad is going to happen here. Well, it happened very badly. Uh, Governor Kate wrote a letter to the state police. Uh, My interpretation of the letter was it was a version of who will rid me of this troublesome rancher. (laughs) Okay. Those weren't the exact words, but there must be dramatic action taken. We can't allow this and blah, blah, blah. And so off we go, and now they're going to the meeting in the next town. And they have met with the sheriff. The sheriff is not comfortable. The local sheriff is not comfortable with them being there. But he's met with them, and they've talked, and they said, oh, we're leaving in a week or so anyway. Uh, But they wanted to meet with the sheriff of the next town over, who turns out to be a very straight-arrow kind of sheriff and very aggressive at uh, constitutional rights, and he was very supportive. And so they're going to the meeting, and basically, and that everybody knows that. It was a public meeting. Uh, everyone was aware of it. Um, and the Oregon State Police intercepted them. And the details of that intercept were strange before we even get to the shooting. Uh, they stopped them, and they said, hey, we're going to the meeting with the next sheriff, and and." Finnegan was, was kind of a volatile. He said, well, if you, we're just going to meet with the sheriff, like everybody knows, and we're having a, there's a town meeting over there, and um, we're meeting with law enforcement, you know, and, and we're going to go to that meeting. No, you can't go. So off they, they drive away. They were, they were stopped. There were no warrants out on any of those people. To the best of my knowledge, law enforcement said there were no warrants out. Now, that would take some research, but I believe my sources so there they go, and, and, and people are sh- now shooting at their truck. So they're running, and they run them around a blind curve, uh, which some people call a dead man's roadblock, and it was all pre-planned. They had snipers up in trees. The branches had been removed with chainsaws. And the original story was the FBI did not fire a shot. They swore that under oath. They were there, but only to observe, and that's the original, and that was verified and re-verified and re-verified and testified to, and so what you have is all of a sudden Finnegan is is dead. He's shot down getting out of the truck and on the way to this meeting. All right, well, a few days passed, and then we have the... FBI video, which is all over the place. It is up on my blog, if you look for Burns, and there are two versions of it there. There's the one that the FBI put out. It was either shot from a drone or a helicopter, I think from a helicopter, and it is a remarkably, astonishingly poor quality video. I've seen uh, videos from drones that were basically toys that had high-definition color. This is grainy and everything else. And it's very hard to tell what is going on. Uh, One of the versions, I've got two versions of it on my blog. One is the original from the FBI. Uh, The other is slowed down and stabilized. 
And I've played that many, many times, and I've had people who were in law enforcement and even in some of the federal agencies look at that. From my personal view, I cannot tell. The, 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 the official story is Finnegan was reaching for a gun, and it was a righteous shoot, and they shot him down and uh, filled him full of holes, and he died. Uh, the other thing that people say, he wasn't reaching for a gun, and to their credit, I mean, the shooting had started long before he got out of the truck. The, the truck had been taking gunfire for a while, and uh, the two women who are free, uh, one was the young girl, the other one was charged and then released, but she still has charges against her. Uh, Hold your thought, John. Let's take our final break now. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everyone, to our final segment. I'm talking with John Cardell, a, a friend of mine who is a prolific author and uh, who has a blog, wonderful blog. And before we go on talking about the uh, the situation in, in Burns, Oregon, uh, give them your contact information again, John. Surely. For my novels, the website is www.johntrudel.com. That's all the information about the, my novels and interviews and things like that. And the first chapters are there for free, so you can check them out. The blog is blog, B-L-O-G dot John Trudell, J-O-H-N-T-R-U-D-E-L dot com. And that has uh, this Burns incident and many, many other things about uh, the stuff that's of interest to me, and I've been focusing on threats to America. Uh, and the blog is quite popular. So that's how you find it. 
Fantastic. Uh, now, you were talking about the video uh, about the uh, the shooting near Burns, Oregon, of uh, the boy Finnegan. Finnegan, I keep bouncing and trying to pronounce it the Irish way. And uh, you said that the you'd seen the FBI video. Were there other videos out there, too? Well, that's the interesting thing, and, and that's the part not many people have talked about. Um, the encouraging thing, hold this thought, officially sworn and testified to the only shooting was done by the Oregon State Police. The federal government had no involvement. They were just there to observe. So hold that thought, and that was testified to, and it was an elite team of FBI people. Also, this um, ambush was indisputably pre-planned. I mean, they'd taken, they've had snipers up in trees. They had a roadblock set up around a blind curve. And so it was, it was a prepared kill zone. All right, so here we go. And now we have this one video that's the only official evidence that has been released, and it was from the FBI. And it is problematic. Um, people of good intent have looked at it and made different conclusions. Was he reaching for a gun, or was he grabbing at a wound where he had been shot? And he did have a wound about where he was reaching. Uh, don't know. Can't tell. But the good news was, the excellent news was, by law, by their own procedures, the Oregon State Police, who were the ones that were ordered to do, do deal with this rancher by the governor of Oregon, Governor Kate, are required, absolutely positively required, to document any such incidents. They're supposed to have video cameras, vehicle cameras, all the communications tapes, all the meeting minutes and everything else. And naive me at the beginning, I said, well, this will be resolved. You can't tell from that FBI video, but if you had a video that was of more definition, if you had one with an audio track on it, you could tell that he was, you know, if he was being shot beforehand, which many people testified that he was, okay? Um, and, by God, they are required to reveal this. Well, all the, and you know that's true, because all of a sudden they went crazy in Oregon. I'm thinking, why am I still here? I could be down in Arizona. Uh, they tried to get a bill through the legislature to allow delaying release of the Oregon State Police information. Okay, unprecedented. They said, no, 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 we can't release it. And um, and such legislation actually passed the House in Oregon, but it died in the Senate, and the legislature has adjourned. So by law, they have to release all this evidence. And you see pictures of the Oregon State Police people at the roadblock with cameras on their helmets, and they had vehicles there. They have vehicle cameras. And they had to have communications. So, so none of that has come out. And my view as to whether it's the righteousness of the shoot or not, you need that evidence on record. And it isn't on record yet. Um, but that's where that sits. So I cannot tell. I've looked at it many, several times, and I've talked to friends who are experts. And I talked to one guy who's pretty hasty. Really, has a pretty, pretty poor quality video. You know. So, all right, fine. So the evidence is required to be released. Well, what happened afterwards, it started getting notice. Now the shooting goes all the way up, and you have Oregon's senators, particularly Wyden, the senior senator, and 
people were saying, well, this is a little extreme to just shoot this rancher down and, and have an ambush there. And the actual quote is, the virus was spreading. He was going to a meeting, it was getting attention, and that is after, that's, that's what uh, Senator Wyden said with Merkley standing there, the virus is spreading. Uh, I don't like that kind of a statement. Meanwhile, there is only one person who is a witness who is free and talking, and that is this Victoria <coughs> Sharp that I told you about. Well, they released one other lady, the other woman in the car. There were two women in the car. The second was Shauna Cox. She's released. She is madder than a wet head, and she starts testifying. Well, what happens? Now she's charged with a felony. They tell her that she has to t get all the guns out of her house, so she moves them to her daughter's house, and there's this mysterious fire, and it burns up, and the son-in-law is killed. Okay, so then we have the body count as two from this, is this unrelated mysterious fire. Very, very strange. And then the final cleanup is there are now 42 people. Um, Lynch came to Portland right before the announcement of the findings that it was a legitimate shoot and it was justified and everything else. That was on a Monday. She shows up on a Sunday, and she says, we're going to take more action. She has 42 people have been arrested now, 42 political prisoners, all over the country. Uh, the most interesting one to me is one of them was Trump's campaign manager from New Hampshire. <laughs> now, why would they arrest him? Well, he had been at the Bundy Ranch, you know, in 19, 2014, he didn't even get there until the incident was over. Uh, he came, I guess, from New Hampshire. He gets there, and it's all over with, and he stayed for a week or so, helped them with some administrative things, put together uh, some of their films and made a documentary out of it and went back to New Hampshire. He's in prison, and the charges are all extreme interpretations of uh, the ones that I've seen are from the federal gun, gun laws that are unenforced. I mean, it's a felony to cross for, you know, to cross state lines with a weapon and for use of a crime and all that. So they're using all the gun laws that they won't enforce against terrorists, that they won't enforce in the cities against felons. But th this seems to be the, the reason for holding these people, and there's 42 of them now that are charged. So that's kind of where it is, and as way deep background, there's even Hillary and Uranium One, and there's resources on underneath the Hammond property, allegedly, and in fact, they've already filed to develop it, and blah, blah, blah. The Uranium com com One company uh, that has been in the news under Hillary, it's a Canadian company that uh, sold our uranium to the Russians. It has now been reincorporated as Oregon Energy LLC, and they have claims to the land around there. So that's is that related or not related or who knows? So the whole thing is very strange, and it goes far beyond that, that particular snapshot in time when Finnegan is being shot down. And the, the really interesting things to me are the other parts of it. As far as the Finnegan shooting, you really need more evidence, I think, to resolve it. It's going to take the courts being involved. Well, hopefully we'll get the evidence, but if, uh, we have to rely on the Obama administration and, and liberal politicians to, to give it to us. We probably won't ever see it. And uh, but the, thank you for the explanation of that, because I was not aware of the other arrests. But unfortunately, it's not surprising. Uh, I know that, uh, and also I wasn't aware of the, of the uranium 
situation, but that relates really to the Bundy situation, too, because the lands that the Bundys were grazing their cattle on, they've been grazing their cattle on for many, many years. Harry Reid's son was working with a Chinese company to to acquire, to acquire all that land so they could build some kind of solar power plant. So, you know, right. you have the corrupt, corrupt politicians there, and it sounds like that may be something what's happening in Oregon. Well, John, we're going to have to wrap it up here in a minute. Uh, I really have enjoyed having you on. There are a lot of other topics I would like to get to with you, so hopefully you'll be willing to come back on again in the near future. Oh, not only willing but honored, sir. I'm, I'm honored that you asked me. I thank you for uh, t- saying kind things about my books. And I again remind everybody, www.johntrudel.com. And I, I, and I encourage everybody, all of our, my listeners out there, to follow John on his blog because he puts out some terrific information. And I try to do as much as I can with my blog, uh, which is www.michaelconnelly.com. But I'm spending so much time preparing briefs and working on uh, court cases with the Justice Foundation. I don't always get the information out there. John is a more prolific writer than I am. He puts out terrific information. So follow his blog and and, uh, read his books. Thank you again, John, for being on, and thanks to everybody that that listened in today. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for having me. Have a wonderful day, sir. Bye. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Watchdog.